Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church. Uh, Glad to have you part of our church, our journey, and especially the series that we're in called Living on a Prayer. Now, we come in this third week to what is one of my very favorite topics. And perhaps the reason it's one of my very favorite topics is because it was obviously one of Jesus's very favorite topics. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit later here about the kingdom of God. Now, in the four Gospels, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven terms that are used synonymously throughout the scripture, he actually refers or mentions the kingdom of God over a hundred times. Now that's a lot when you consider that we only have just over 2,000 words that Jesus is ever attributed to have spoken. Let me put that in some context. I will share more words in this message today than the total words that we have in the Gospels that Jesus spoke. No comments from the peanut gallery at the end of this service, okay? But, but that's, it, it was a very important, a very significant topic for Jesus Christ. And there's no doubt it's the reason that he put it right in the center of the Lord's Prayer. So before we get to that, let me just go back and remind us of why we're doing this series, what prayer is really all about. I shared that there are a number of ways for us to define prayer. I want to give you just two of them again this morning. Prayer is a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to God. That's how I've come to understand prayer. Prayer is a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness. Here's the question. Am I open? Am I responsive to what God is doing in my life? And here's a more general way for us to understand prayer. Prayer is all of the ways by which I communicate and commune with God. There isn't one right way to pray. There isn't one right way to connect with God. There are multitudes of ways. And prayer is all of the ways by which I communicate and commune with God. So in this series, as we're talking about This idea of living on a prayer, we're reminding ourselves that this series is really not about giving us a language for prayer. I suspect most of us have the language of the Lord's Prayer pretty well down. I'm just curious, how many of you as kids learned the Lord's Prayer somewhere along the line in your life? Come on, raise your hand if that's you. Look across the auditorium. Almost all of us somewhere learned the Lord's Prayer when we were kids. The idea of our series and even the idea of the Lord's Prayer is not that we would just have a language for prayer. It's that we would have a heart for prayer. And that we would be inspired with a motivation to actually believe that prayer does change things. And most of all, prayer changes me, changes us. And so as we move this morning into week three, one of those ways that we commune with God and one of those forms of prayer is silence. And we're going to take just a few moments to quiet ourselves, to place ourselves in stillness before God, 
to allow all of the things that are happening, that were happening this morning before we walked in here, and maybe, maybe even things right now that are stirring on your mind that you're thinking about. I'm going to ask you, with God's grace, to just shut those down for just a few moments. And in stillness and in quietness, let's position ourselves and let's become present with God. Let me give you a reminder about why silence is so important when it comes to prayer. Psalm 62, take a look before we do this at these uh, two verses, verses 5 and 6. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. You may not be shaken this morning, but at some point in our journey in all of our lives, we get shaken, don't we? The circumstances of life have a way of shaking us to our core. Why is silence so important? Because silence brings us back to our center. It brings us back to what's most important. It brings us back to God and awareness of his presence. Even in the middle of our shaking, God is there. So this morning, let's take just a moment and let's quiet ourselves before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes by way of just closing out all the distractions. And in the next few moments, let's just wait on God and then I want to move us into the continuation of this series. Amen. I've learned that the most powerful prayers are often wordless prayers. So I want to remind us of um, what I pray is the posture for all of us as we move through this series, Living on a Prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse number 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What we know as the Lord's Prayer could equally be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because it was given in response to a disciple's request. Teach us to pray. The disciples did not approach prayer as experts. They approached prayer as learners. As beginners. So I ask you again. When it comes to prayer, am I teachable? Am I willing to be a beginner when it comes to prayer? I believe all of us to learn to pray, we need someone in our life that inspires us to pray. Because I really believe that prayer is more effectively caught than it is taught. From 1990 to 1995, I I served as an associate pastor at a church in the northwest side of Cleveland in a community called Avon. And at that church, I was with a pastor who became one of my primary mentors in life. Um, I often say it was at this church, Christian Heritage, where I learned how to pastor. I learned some of the essential ingredients that go into the integrity of being a pastor. And Pastor Bunny, which was his name, by the way, we had a lot of fun at Easter time with him, uh, as you can imagine. Pastor Bunny didn't just call me to serve as an associate pastor at the church. He actually called me to himself. He allowed me to be with him enough and in his presence enough to actually pick up his own spiritual rhythms, his own 
spiritual priorities. And, and of all the things that I learned from Pastor Bunny, and there are some things I remember that he taught, but of the most important things that I learned, here's one of the most important. I learned the importance of prayer. Not because he taught it, but because I watched him do it. I can remember so many times being with him and just having him lead in prayer. I remember being with him away on conferences or away overnight where we shared a room together and I would wake up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning hearing the low tone of a man in the other bed praying. And I thought to myself as a young man, who does this? Who prays like that? There was something inspirational for me about prayer that I learned from him. So over the past week, um, what I've been doing with his invitation is I've been using this as my own way to come back to God in prayer. How many of you have minds that wander when you pray? <laughs> I mean, how many of you feel scattered when you pray? You wonder, like, how do I get where I need to go? So what I've been doing this past week is I've been taking this prayer, Lord, teach me to pray, and I've just been praying it when I feel distracted, when I feel my mind beginning to wander, when I feel that I'm being captivated by some other ambition or some other desire. I just simply use that prayer, Lord, teach me to pray. It is a short enough prayer that you can pray it in the time it takes you to take a full breath. Think about that. Lord Jesus, teach me to pray. Lord Jesus, teach me to pray. It can become a, a way for you to bring you back to God. Now let's return to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives it to the disciples following this request. We'll take it from Matthew's Gospel. Pray then, he says, in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One of the things I so appreciate about the Lord's Prayer is that the Lord's Prayer gives us both the content and the structure for prayer. And by the way, we need both. We need the content, but I don't know about you, I also need the structure for prayer. So let me ask you a question this morning. How do you structure your life around prayer? around communion with God. Notice I did not ask you, how do you work prayer into your schedule? Prayer is important enough that we should not just make room in our lives for prayer. Listen, we should actually allow ourselves to be interrupted by Jesus in our lives for prayer. I think as a pastor at how many times my life has been interrupted, and how often I allow interruptions to come into my life. In fact, I think one of the ways to know how much of a servant we are of Christ is how much and how often we're willing to be interrupted. Now, here's the, here's the thing it brought me back to. How often do I allow Jesus to interrupt me? Prayer is our way to structure our life around our highest 
priority. And our highest priority should be communion and time with God. So I want to encourage you this morning to do something. I want to encourage you to calendar prayer into your life. Now, listen to what I just said. Here's why I'm saying that we should calendar prayer into our life. Your calendar is not about what you want to do. Your calendar is about who you want to become. That's what calendars are all about. If you think they're just about getting things done, you're missing the point. Calendars are about who do I want to be, then structuring my life around that thing that I want to be, that way that I want to live. So I brought for you just a snapshot of my calendar from this past Tuesday. I want to just show it to you. It's going to be a little hard to see, but if you just kind of can look as clearly as you can, you'll notice that in the morning I have a time with a little prayer symbol beside it that says prayer, morning prayer. You'll also notice in the afternoon, in this particular day on Tuesday, it was a midday, it was actually around the noon hour, that I had what I call midday prayer. And then you'll also notice down at the bottom, it's kind of hard to see, but in the evening, I have a time that is set aside for prayer. Now, here's the deal. Those things are not rigid for me. In other words, the times give me a framework, but I am not rigid about the times as much as the windows. Think of the structure of your day as three blocks. I mean, actually, you got four blocks. One of the blocks is taken up with sleep. But you got three other blocks. You got a morning block, you got an afternoon block, and you got an evening block. Where is Jesus in the blocks? How have you structured your blocks around him? In this particular day, I was praying and fasting. Maybe that's because I had a dental appointment that afternoon. That'll get you praying and fasting, right? But you ask yourself the question, what do I want to be the priorities of my life? And then I want to move toward them. That's what the Lord's Prayer is allowing us to do. It is actually allowing us to lift to the, to the top priority of our life the priorities of Jesus. And what are the priorities? The priorities are found in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives to us the kaleidoscopic nature of prayer. In other words, prayer is multifaceted and prayer is multidimensional. It is not just about one thing. It is about multitude of things. And there are many aspects of prayer, and we've already talked about two of them in our series. Prayer is first about relationship. Our Father. Prayer is about relationship. Our Father. When we come to God, we come to a God who is our Father. That's really significant. It's really important because it also means and it also reveals our identity, who we are and whose we are. When Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed with the clarity of his identity. More than anything else in our lives, the image that we have of God determines and shapes our identity. In other words, how you see God is how you'll see yourself. When Jesus came to God, he came as God's beloved son, fully loved by God, and he came as perfect in God's eyes. In other words, Jesus' identity was not determined by what he did or what he earned or what he owned or what other people thought of him or what people said about him. Jesus' identity was solely based on what God his Father said about him, my beloved son. That was the derivative of his identity in Christ. 
And so this is significant because when he tells us to pray our Father, he's telling us to pray also as God's beloved sons and God's beloved daughters, perfect in God's eyes. You say, what do you mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to become sin for us, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the righteousness of God. And he gave it to us. And our identity now is that before God, we stand as perfect in God's eyes. Now, we know we're not perfect, but because of Jesus, he sees us that way. He sees us as fully forgiven, fully redeemed, fully healed. So prayer is, first of all, relationship. Prayer is, secondly, worship. Jesus presents prayer as worship when he uses the words, hallowed be your name. Now, whenever I hear the word hallowed, I think of the scene from this movie, one of my all-time favorite movies. Take a look at the screen. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Wake up, gentlemen. It's late. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. All right, listen up. You will follow Doc Myself and the other coaches, we're going to take a little run through the woods. If you get lost along the way, don't bother coming back to camp. Just hitchhike your hind parts on home. Any questions? Coach, it's a high school football team. We're not the Marines here. Let's go. Let's go. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, it's painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke and hot lead right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together, Right now, on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. 
just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Wow, any other fans of Remember the Titans here this morning? If you've never seen that movie, please watch it. It's one of the great illustrations of racial reconciliation. This word, hollow, is a word that suggests something that is sacred, something that is holy. When we pray and we come to God, we come to the one who is hollowed. Listen, we don't pray to the man upstairs, as some people refer to him. We pray to a God that is as close as our breath. One who is intimately acquainted with with everything about us, who actually desires to be with us more than we desire to be with him. That's who he is. He longs for us. He wants to be with us. He has both the character and the capacity to take all of our primal, most, most deepest needs and yet remind us that he is an ever-present help. He is ever-present with us. We pray, hallowed be your name. We are committing ourselves to making a name for him and not a name for us. You see, the Lord's Prayer puts God in his proper place, and it puts us in our place too. Now, there's a third way that Jesus now introduces prayer for us in this kaleidoscopic nature, and it's this, prayer as an invitation. Prayer as an invitation. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very first things that we are told that we are, are to ask for is God's kingdom and God's will. Now, though those two topics are interrelated, we're only going to take just the first of these this morning, God's kingdom. And let me just say, this morning, just a fair warning, we will only scratch the surface on an idea that was so high for Jesus, was so big for Jesus, it warrants so much more than what we're going to give it this morning. We're just going to scratch the surface on the topic. However, in 2018, we did an entire series on the kingdom of God. And so if you'd like to learn more about the kingdom of God, you can simply go to our website archives, media archives. You can find the series, or you could go out and subscribe at iTunes to Grace Crossing Church, and there you can find the series from 2018. The question is this, what did Jesus have in mind when he talked about the kingdom of God? Now here's the big idea today. Before I pray for God's will, I must first welcome God's kingdom. Before I pray for God's will, I must first welcome God's kingdom. As we think about the Lord's Prayer one of the words that just gets lost in it all is this word come. Your kingdom come. It's actually an invitation of sorts, isn't it? Can you remember a time in your life when you were invited to come? When you received an invitation 
to join someone at an event, to be a part of something significant, and you were surprised to get the invitation? I grew up with a brother who was four years my elder, and when he invited me to join he and his friends on doing some kind of sport or outdoor activity, man, I just felt so privileged, so honored that little Gilbert was able to be a part of it. And I was invited in. Praying, in essence, is saying to God, God, you are welcome here in my place and in my space. Come on, God, you belong here. When we pray, come, we are actually giving to God a really sacred invitation that he is invited to the party of our life. To whatever we're doing, whatever our activities are, he wants to be part of that. And listen, when God comes to the party, things happen. Jesus wanted to know the kingdom of God is big enough that if I show up there, if I come into that situation, I'm bringing the full force of my kingdom with me to bear. It's all coming with me. And things are going to get really, really exciting when you think about the kingdom of God coming. This was Jesus' first priority. When he came to earth, he announced the kingdom of God. And his invitation was one that it would come. Mark's gospel, chapter 1. Listen to what Jesus said, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Two times in Jesus's some of his opening comments that are recorded in Mark's gospel, Jesus is giving the kingdom of God an invitation. He's saying, the kingdom's near, and now the kingdom's come near in me. Now the question is this morning, what's the kingdom of God? Why is it such a big idea to Jesus? And why should it be a big, a big idea to us? Why should it matter? Let me quickly give you just three things about the kingdom that you, you should know as you pray the Lord's Prayer. First of all, the kingdom is the way God leads, not the place God lives. Let me say it again. The kingdom is the way God leads, not the place God lives. So this word kingdom actually is taken from a Greek word that is most often translated basilica. Now here's what's interesting. When, when we think basilica, we think building right? We think high church. We think perhaps Catholic or Orthodox or some ancient church. My wife and I in January had the privilege for our anniversary to travel. We spent four days in Rome, and we got our fair share of tours of basilicas, including St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City. These are remarkable spaces, remarkable places. But here's what's so interesting about it. Jesus never attached the word kingdom to brick and mortar. He never attached it to brick and mortar. He had something completely different in mind. For Jesus, the kingdom of God was a power, not a place. For Jesus, the kingdom of God was an influence, not an institution. For Jesus, the kingdom of God was both a realm and it was a reign, a reign of his power and of his authority. So whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he was actually thinking of it in terms of the way in which God leads, not the place where God lives. 
There's a second thing about the kingdom of God. When you think and you hear the word kingdom, think of this. The kingdom is life as God intended it. It is life as God intended it. When Jesus came to earth, Jesus' primary mission was to actually show us life as God intended it. His entire ministry was built on what? Reversing the order, getting things back in order that had become broken. Things that had become disordered. Why did Jesus heal blind people? Why did Jesus get lame people to walk? Why did Jesus deliver people who were demon-possessed? Why did Jesus raise people from the dead who died prematurely? Why does Jesus walk on water to overcome the power of the wind and the waves and the storms? Why? Because that's not the way God intended life. And he comes to say, I'm bringing to you and I want to show you life as God intended it. And so listen, we don't have time this morning to talk about everything about life as God intended it, nor do I claim to know absolutely everything about the way that God intended life. But I think we can understand the way God intended life by looking at two things, by looking at what God said and looking at what Jesus did. Those two things more than anything else reveal the kingdom of God and life as God intended it. And what did God say that he intended for life. Well, actually, it's found in one verse of Scripture that's going to be very familiar to you. It's a verse of Scripture that really provides the framework for Jesus' entire life. In fact, his entire life was built on these three priorities. They're in our vision. Micah 6.8. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does God intend? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That is the ministry and mission of Jesus. That is what he did. He fulfilled the requirements of God. He did all that was good in God's eyes. And he did it as a human being. In his humanity, he fulfills all of this perfectly for us and gives us a model for what this should look like for us. I think you can think of it as this. These are the three trademarks of God's kingdom. If you want to know what are the trademarks of God's kingdom, they are justice, they are mercy, and they are humility. Justice that compels us to act. Mercy that is motivated by love. And humility that keeps us grounded in God. Not grounded in ourselves, but grounded in God. When we do those three things, when we have a justice that moves us, that compels us to act, we have a mercy that is, that is absolutely motivated by love for God, love for others, love for ourselves. And we have a humility that keeps us grounded. We are living life as God intended it. We are doing the things God intended for us. Which brings us to one final thing about God's kingdom that you should know this morning, especially as you pray, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God comes 
as I orient my life around Jesus. The kingdom of God comes as I orient my life around Jesus. A few verses later in Matthew's gospel, uh, as Jesus is winding down his thoughts on prayer. By the way, we read the scripture and we break it down. We have chapter titles. Then we have like six subsections in the scripture that break it all apart. We think prayer is the standalone section. Not true. Prayer was the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, and prayer is the entirety of the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel. So what Jesus does is he, he flows right out of telling us how to pray to telling us what we should not orient our life to. In other words, he goes into saying, listen, don't orient your life to your wealth. Don't put your hope in treasures. And don't even put it in what you'll wear or what you'll drink or what you'll eat or think about all of those things that you become so preoccupied with and they can become the life, the most important thing about your life. And then he summarizes all of it. He summarizes really the Lord's Prayer in this one verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Above all, this is the Lord's Prayer being summarized. Above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to us abundantly. What are the less important things? What I'll wear, what I'll drink, what I'll eat, how much I have in my bank account. Those are not the most important things of life. The most important things of life are the way that in which we orient our life to Jesus. I think that the spiritual life is a series of orientations. In other words, initially in life, we orient our life around things that matter to us. Some of us orient our life around our parents. We orient our life. A lot of parents orient their life around their kids. A lot of people orient their life completely around their job. That's, that's the or, that is the orbit they live in. And what happens is over time, we become disoriented with those things. At, at, at the very least, um, we be, they become meaningless to us. At the worst, we become completely disenfranchised and disillusioned with life. And we need something new. We need to reorient our life to something. The reorientation of our life is Jesus. By the way, that's what salvation is. God gives us salvation as a way in which to orient and reorient our life to something bigger, something that matters more, something more solid, something eternal that's going to outlast us. And when we orient our life to Jesus, we are orienting our life to what matters most in this world. When the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, more times than not when Jesus spoke of it, he was actually referring to how God's rule comes into a human heart. So, most of the time when Jesus is referring to kingdom of God, he's referring to how God governs or how God rules over a human life. It is really all about how we give God permission to be first in our lives. Because here's what I've learned. Before God's kingdom will ever come to this earth, his kingdom comes one person at a time. 
one individual who's daring enough, who's courageous enough, who's humble enough to say, God, I want you to be my orientation. I don't, I don't want to orient my life around things that disorient me. I want to get them oriented around the things that matter most. And as we are citizens of this kingdom through Jesus Christ, we all of a sudden understand more clearly than ever who we are and whose we are. So, so I want to close this morning where we began with our identity. When Peter talked about our identity as citizens, when he talked about orienting our, our life around him, around Jesus, here's what he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race. Let's just stop there for a minute. In the beginning, there was one race. We become fractured because of race. Race has become divisive in our culture, in our world. People have superiority ideas about their race over other races. But Jesus came to make us one new humanity and one race. Our race is in him. We are one race because of Jesus. We are a royal priesthood. Get, get, a, get a hold of this this morning. There is no longer someone who is given permission to go to God on your behalf. You now have permission to go to God on your own behalf. You're a priesthood. Men, you're priests. Women, you're priestesses. You have an ability that God has given you. That's your identity. That's who you are. You, you are a cho- chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. We are a nation spiritual nation set apart for God. And we have millions of other people that are citizens of this kingdom that are not here today. But we're part of something very large. A people of his own. We're God's own treasured possession. Why? What's the purpose? Here's the purpose. So that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you're God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you've received mercy. What Peter is getting at is this. He's getting at this kingdom is so big and it's so rich and it's so comprehensive and it's so diverse, but we are all part of this kingdom. And we become citizens, and listen, the primary carriers of the kingdom of God on this earth. You and I are the primary carriers of God's kingdom here on this earth. People will experience the kingdom of God through us. They will encounter God's kingdom through us. They will learn what life is as God intended it through us. They will experience that they are part and they're invited too to be part of something that is bigger than them. And so this morning, I want to urge us because we, we tend to want to jump to praying the Lord's will. I mean, that's a common prayer for us, Lord, your will be done. But I think it all starts with the kingdom. And us praying and giving the kingdom of God an invitation to come into our lives, to rule in our hearts, to live our lives around our orientation, which is Jesus. He is our orienting reality in this world. Nothing else and nothing less.
Let's pray together. I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to ask you just to, as we close, I said last weekend it would be a tragedy for us to do a series on prayer and not pray, right? So one prayer is coming up on October the 7th. We want to invite you to join us here at Grace Crossing Church, 630, for our one prayer. But I also said we want to bookend our prayer, our, our, our message with prayer throughout this series. So we began with silent prayer. I want to close by leading us in a corporate prayer, but before I do, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head, and I'm going to ask you to open your hands before you as a way of invitation. Prayer is a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to God, to his invitation. God's already invited us to come. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. How about now we invite him to come? Your kingdom come. Just take a moment, and I want to invite you to just invite God to come, the kingdom of God to come in your life in a greater way. This is, this is a mystery. It's a profound mystery. But it's not just an ethereal idea. It is living life as God intended it. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and telling us that we're part of something big. Thank you for coming and showing us life as God intended it. And thank you for inviting us to repent and believe on the good news. In other words, you said, I want you to be part of this kingdom. And through surrendering our life to Jesus, we get to be part of this kingdom. We get to have the rule of Christ in our hearts, and we get to experience life as you intended it. My prayer today, Lord, is that we individually would live our lives by giving you an invitation to come, that your kingdom would come to us. And then that we co co uh, corporately and collectively would, would pray into this idea of your kingdom, God, because we are not here at Grace Crossing Church about building our own organization. We're not here, God, to build some institution. We're not here to build our own movement. We are here to build your kingdom. That's what we're about. We're about alignment to your kingdom. We're about being part of what you're doing. And I pray that you'd help us to keep the kingdom at the forefront of all that we do. May we see our part as being a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people, a treasured people for your possession. May we see our role and our identity. May it come from that. And may through that we become the carriers of your kingdom, God, to those we come in contact with. Help us, I pray, by your spirit to do what even our words today can't do. And that is make the kingdom of God real to each of us. And so I invite you, Lord, to have your way. I pray that your spirit would do your work now in the hearts and the minds of our lives to align us to your will. I thank you for it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Bless you all. Thank you. Have a great, great week. Go in God's peace. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.